A Miami hosted Super Bowl is on the record books as the wettest big game ever, and a halftime show that consistently ranks from sports polls to music surveys as number one. February 4th, 2007. High temperature in Miami, 69 degrees. The low, 64. But there are torrential downpours, wind gusts of 20 miles per hour from the north. Regular ticket price, 700 bucks. Nearly 75,000 poncho-wearing football fans head to Dolphin Stadium in a day when Miami's rain isn't going to relent or quickly roll out to sea, as it sometimes does. Mother Nature has a plan for this Super Bowl Sunday. Billy Joel prepares to sing the national anthem to open Super Bowl 41. He stands under a large black umbrella, waiting for a horde of workers to remove the water from the baby grand he'll play to accompany his pregame performance. Oh, say can you see? The Indianapolis Colts and the Chicago Bears have made it to the Super Bowl. They are at the ultimate game and ready to take on the soaked field. But before the first half is over, there are six turnovers blamed on the unrelenting conditions. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. For Miami football fans and the players, the rain may have been hell, but for halftime entertainer Prince, the heavens opened up and he took full advantage. Local 10 and Local10.com present the Florida Files. I'm Michelle Solomon, and this is Reelin' in the Years, Miami Super Bowls, the halftime downpour that made history. Coplin was one of the executive producers for the halftime show. He'd been in charge of some of the biggest Super Bowl shows, Paul McCartney in 2005, the Rolling Stones in 2006. As head of programming for the NFL in 2007, it was his job to plan Prince's appearance at Super Bowl 41. Tell me about the days leading up and, and everything seemed to be like it was going to just go off. Well, that stuff doesn't always go off without a hitch, but it was pretty close to being programmed in a in a in a way that that it. Yeah, I mean everything that um, we had planned was going along very smoothly. Uh, we were pretty sure we would be fine because it was Miami in February, and you know I I'm from there, so I I was certain we would be fine, and I think. A day or two before, we started to realize that the weather was was pretty lousy. And then we got all these reports that told us we would be fine. Everybody said by the time the Super Bowl starts, the game starts, we'll be fine. And I and we didn't have a plan B. And I remember thinking that we probably should have had a plan B uh, because I was starting to be asked what was the plan B. Um, but we didn't have one. And uh, 
as the weather intensified throughout the game, it got worse. Uh, when the weather started moving in, which, as you know, is very, very uncharacteristic of Miami in February, that's when the anxiety started to go up beyond the normal anxiety of how difficult it is to pull these things off. The stage was built in the shape of Prince's signature symbol. He played a music set that was, in itself, unforgettable. Only a few of his own songs, then amazing arrangements of Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower and his rolling take on Proud Mary. I thought his set list was really brave. He could have just played a bunch of hits and he really composed a soundtrack for what the Super Bowl halftime was. And um, at that point, no other artist had really approached it that way. And so uh, I think the, the other thing that gets lost is just how musically innovative the show was. Heading into the second song, the stadium goes dark. The 100-strong Florida A&M University Marching Band in full regalia with day-glow stripes on their uniforms are playing Prince's Baby I'm a Star. They light up the field as they take part in the musical fantasy, and so do thousands of fans who have come from the stands and rush the field. Poncho's off. Everything? appears magical. But Copland and everyone else is still holding their collective breaths, the longest 12 minutes and 17 seconds of their lives. Were there concerns with the electrical equipment? Yeah, there were concerns um, because it was unprecedented with that much rain. So whenever you have that much uh, gear, there's concerns about people falling down as they're running to set up the stage. And there's concerns about electricity. Did you ever think about him not performing? No, we never asked him not to go on. In fact, we were concerned that he might not go on. And I think the, for me personally, the moment where I was able to somewhat exhale is when I got a message from backstage that Prince asked, can they make it rain any harder? It was a moment that left many in awe. February 4, 2007, Super Bowl 41, Prince takes over the field in one of the most epic halftime shows in history. Former Local 10's Derek Shore reports. David Saltz with ABC Television was that show's executive producer. He says the idea to get Prince came eight months earlier. Because we were coming to Miami, we wanted to do something you know, a little bit more contemporary. Prince would hear the request and invite Saltz to his home in Los Angeles. He was up on stage with a band. I guess he kept these guys around the house for most of the day. And he went through from the stage most of what the Super Bowl halftime show was going to be about eight months before. But then game day, the weather struck. This torrent, just this downpour that just didn't let up. Copland said Prince had the show highly choreographed, and his two backup dancers, known as the Twins, covered every inch of the slick stage, dancing and running around in stiletto-heeled boots. One of the things that made this show different 
is that there was so much choreography between Prince and the twins. So slipping on the stage um, was also something that, that was a concern. The twins were two dancers that Prince had uh, made a, a specific part of the show. And they were wearing, uh, yeah, they were wearing stilettos, high heels, so as was Prince. So the movement around the stage, which was quite uh, comprehensive, um, was a concern because of how wet it was. Whenever anything is as wet as it was, and remember, it wasn't just raining. It was it was a deluge, and it was a deluge for hours. So I would imagine it was it was pretty slippery. Former Local 10's Derek Shore reports. In the pouring rain, he belted out song after song, and then the finale. Executive producer and head of programming for NFL in 2007, Charlie Coplin. Certainly by the time Purple Rain started, which was the last song in the set, it continued to come down in buckets. And of course, the lighting scheme was purple. So it was really magical to see all of these very thick raindrops refracted off of this purple light. ESPN Radio called it the undisputed greatest halftime show in Super Bowl history. And entertainment industry magazine Variety ranked it number one too, commenting that it was a jaw-dropping dozen minutes. An electrifying moment that is etched in Super Bowl and music history and the Magic City memory that will never be forgotten. I like to joke around that we budgeted for the rain and the whole lighting scheme was was planned that way. But um, that was a very creative, happy accident. Uh, something that we were really, really scared of turned out to be one of the things that made that show so special. Find more Florida Files, Miami Super Bowl reeling in the years on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Radio Public, and anywhere your favorite podcasts can be found. Are you a fan of the Florida Files? Tell us what you love about the series on Apple Podcasts and join other fans in leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.